it's time for the movie people Podcast, yeah It's time for the movie people, TV people, no more evil Season 3, now that's the sequel, yeah It's time for the movie people Movie people, ah It's time for the movie people, TV people, no more evil, season 3, now that's the sequel, yeah. Hello and welcome to the Movie People Podcast, the episode 4 of season 3. My name is David Isles, with me today is Rachel Massengill. Hi! Um, Ethan might be coming later, but it's going to be a little bit of a smaller show. We're going to be talking about our favorite movies from various genres, among other things. So, first up, uh, we don't we haven't done box office in a while, but there were, were a few things that I actually thought were qu- pretty interesting. The first one was, um, uh, what was it, Hustlers, actually yeah. did like a lot better than I would have thought. It, I'm happy. It made like $33 million last week. Like yeah. It was right under the second weekend of it. I didn't get to see Hustlers. Did you see Hustlers? Yes. What did you think of it? It was tons of fun. Like, I think when the trailer came out or when the premise came out, a lot of people were like, mm, I mean, okay, like a like a stripper movie where they scam people. Yeah. But it was really good. Like, the first half was very, it was just shot really interestingly and it was really fun. And the drama and crime aspect worked really well in the second half, I think. Mm-hmm. And everyone's just very, well, especially J-Lo, which a lot of people have been talking about. Yeah. But she's just so charismatic, and the the music drops are really, really good, like the soundtrack slaps. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it just works really well, I think, as a like a crime film. Yeah. I mean, you know, to an extent. It's not super crimey, but, yeah. like, but when they do, when that starts, you know, when, the, when that aspect comes into the story, I think it's handled really well. So, I loved it. It was tons of fun. Yeah, that, that was a movie I was going to see until I figured out that movies are actually pretty expensive to see uh, when you don't yeah. have to, um, <laughs> when you don't get advanced screening tickets. Oh, yeah. So, I was going to play and I was like, wait, I'm not going to pay 10 bucks. But I was going to see The Goldfinch, too, because I was like just curious oh, about it. Yeah. And I was like, well, I'm not going to pay 10 bucks to see a movie that's probably terrible. Terrible, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So, I'm going to wait for... DVD release for both of those, but mm-hmm. good for Hustlers, uh, good yeah. for Constance Wu. Constance Wu has actually really been killing it in like yeah. movies. And she's stuff. been picking some really good projects. That's the reason I wasn't too mad when she was like, I don't want to be on Fresh Off the Boat anymore because yeah, I'm like, she's thing. probably passing up like, because I know she almost passed up Crazy Rich Asians because of her scheduling with Fresh Off the yeah. Boat, and I'm like, that was a huge thing for her. Oh, she yeah. probably this probably had to work around your schedule too, so. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure a lot of TV actors have to deal with that, right? These are pretty, I'm sure, very restrictive and time-consuming contracts, and if you're stuck, essentially, for doing multiple seasons, and you don't want to get written out of the show, but you want to have time to go do other projects and sort of, you know, build your brand and, like, continue to grow professionally. Yeah, like, I mean, it's kind of maybe tacky to tweet about it, but yeah. it's also like the feeling is probably yeah, not wrong. Yeah, the way she did it was terrible, <laughs> but like what she was feeling was fine. Yeah, um, I'm sure a lot of other I people. I mean, Jim Parsons turned down $50 million from The Big Bang Theory yeah. because he was just like, I don't want to do this anymore. Uh, yeah, um, especially when you've been on a show for a show for that long. Like, Well, and also you don't want to get typecast too, right? Especially because yeah. Constance Wu, I think, got famous at least... I first heard about her through Fresh Off the Boat, so I'm sure yeah. she wants to be like, okay, now that like, people know who I am, I want to do different projects and not just the same TV show, like oh, same yeah. sitcom. She's, yeah, she's someone who always is like, yeah, I want to do different types of roles, and like, if she stuck in that role for too long, she always would have been cast as oh, the yeah. same type of thing. 
Okay. So good for good for Jennifer Lopez. I mean, she's I, amazing. Yeah, I think she's she's become an underrated actress. People just yeah. know her, but like she she is a really good at both. And then, yeah, and absolutely. It's good that she's getting some recognition. Today. Yeah, she is so charismatic in this movie. It's insane. <laughs> like, I think I was joking with, I think, Rodrigo after when we saw it. I was like, if she asked me to join a cult, I like, after this movie, I 100% would join her cult. Like, yeah. she's amazing. And then uh, Kiki Palmer, too. I, like, I, did, I didn't know she was still acting, honestly, because I used to watch True Jackson VT, like, religiously, <laughs> like, every week. But, yeah. so good for her. Yeah, she's fun in the movie. And then, um, speaking of The Goldfinch, it did, like, terrible. That sucks, I felt man. so bad. It uh, made, like, $2 million opening weekend on a $40 million budget. Yikes. Which, and it got marketed a lot, too. So they're, oh, probably, yeah. they're probably needing <laughs> to make, like, 80 to $100 million oh, to God. make money. And they're not even going to get close, which... That's a bummer. I mean, it was... It kind of makes sense. Like, if I was a movie executive, I'm not going to lie, like, Hustlers would have been something that would have been hard to pitch for me. Like, yeah. oh, a movie starring Constance Wu and, like, Jennifer Lopez and about, like, taking, like, rich guys' money. Like, I'd, I wouldn't yeah. know if I was... But I definitely probably would have greenlit the um, Goldfinch. Yeah. I was like, okay, it's based off a of Pulitzer Prize um, winning book. You have all these... How people love it. Yeah, yeah, you have all these this great cast. You have a good story. But what, I don't know what happened. This just got, like, destroyed. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't... I haven't read the book, and I haven't seen the movie, so this is sort of coming just third party, I guess, for mm-hmm. me. But a lot of the reviews I read um, from people who had read the book were kind of talking about... I was listening to the NPR Pop Culture, ha- Pop, Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast yeah. episode on it, and they're pretty much saying, like, the problem with the book is that it's sort of, like, non-linear and sort of... I mean, it's a book, right? Those are Those are always going to be different than, like, a pretty narratively linear film yeah. and they said like that just the adaptation didn't really work and it's just compressed a lot of stuff that is really detailed and immersive in the book but, mm-hmm. but that's the problem with adaptation right sometimes you yeah. making a direct like copy paste adaptation of a novel just doesn't work because they're two different mediums it seems like you would have to have a director who's like really like knows what like he or she is doing with that type of stuff and like knows how yeah. to non- or or a director that's not scared to be like, okay, we're just going to leave out those yes. parts of the book, which I don't know who directed The Goldfinch. Um, I can look it up, but I'm sure it wasn't, you know. Probably no yeah. one famous. Uh, I would, I would um, John Crowley, so I don't even know. Oh, oh you know right. Who that is? Yeah, he did, um, he did, um, uh, I didn't know how to spell his last name, I was Googling him. He did, um, Brooklyn, which is also oh, yeah. a novel adaptation that I really liked. But that's also a very different kind of book. It's a that's a very straightforward book of a girl who comes from Ireland to New York, falls in love, has to go back to Ireland. Yeah, it's pretty like straightforward. Whereas I apparently the book, Gold, the Goldfinch book is very sort of it jumps around a lot. There's a lot of plot. There's a lot of themes. There's a lot of characters. Yeah. It, you know, it's a very like expansive novel, which again doesn't always work with movie adaptations. Yeah. Like the more straightforward and simple the novel, I think the easier it is to just. Into a movie. Also, Finn Wolfhard was like competing against himself last weekend because it was like he's in It Chapter Two and then this movie, like yeah. right back to back. And I think he's Good also doing The Adams Family, which is this year. And he did oh, another. Oh, Yeah. Okay. And he did. I think he's done four films and Stranger Things this year. That's crazy. So he's him and Millie Bobby Brown like are really going for it. Awesome. Um, and She's then, coming out with a makeup line at Ulta. Is she? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I saw people were making fun of her because she was like yeah. fake doing her makeup or something. Yeah, like I think that. she was doing like a little like video promoting her face wash, but she didn't have anything on her hands when she was fake washing her face. I don't know. It's something <laughs> weird. Um, and then this week, I'm trying to look up the exact numbers, but Ad Astra comes out this weekend. That's yes, the big one. you saw that, I right? Saw, I saw Ad Astra. Um, I, actually, I actually liked it. I didn't like... It was almost like really, really good, but 
Mm -hmm. the, the weird thing is, the one thing I really didn't like about this film is like, Brad Pitt's character is really like emotionless, yeah. and they try to show that throughout the whole thing, which is fine, that's part of his character, but to like, show that he has emotions, he just kind of voices over what he's feeling, and it like, really takes away from the film every time. Like, literally, he'll be like, I'm feeling sad right now, because oh, no. this <laughs> just happened. And I'm like, no, just like, you can let show, him act don't tell. a little bit. Because yeah. Brad Pitt's really good in this movie. He yeah. could have shown the emotions if the director, it feels weird to say if the directors trusted him a little more because that's it's Brad Pitt you should trust yeah. him mm -hmm. but it looks great Max Richter scored this too Max Richter is one of the best classical composers Ooh, out cool. there right now he did um, that song in Arrival the 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 one during the emotional scene in Arrival that's Max Richter oh, um, oh sick that's so cool I don't I don't think he released the score for this one but he at least listened to a song called On the Nature of Daylight or something by Max Richter he's really good um, Brad Pitt's amazing and. Uh, at the beginning, I was a bit bored, um, but it picks up, and yeah, the, the story never really drags besides the beginning where it's just setting a lot of stuff up, mm -hmm. and and then the ending kind of leads a little bit to it, it. It's very familiar, kind of like the end of Gravity. Or, well, Interstellar is kind of different, but yeah. mm -hmm. it's kind of the the typical end to a space exploration movie. But yeah, I liked it, but cool. sadly, it doesn't look like it's gonna do too well. Um, it's gonna get beat by <laughs> Downton Abbey. Um, oh <laughs> Downton Abbey is gonna make like thirty million dollars this, um, which I, I I must be huge in Britain because I don't know a single person here who watches Downton Abbey. Downton Abbey was huge here though. I think it was all like um, middle-aged white people. Yeah, they <laughs> love Downton Abbey. I watched like the first season of it, um, and it's fine. It's just sort of like a soapy kind of period drama which normally I'm kind of into but yeah. but no people went fully rabid for Downton Abbey when it came out like in the early 2010s yeah they lost their mind so I can I can see how this would probably make a lot of yeah. money because this is a weird there are three big releases there's Downton Abbey and then there's Ad Astra yeah. which is going to get second with 19.1 million they're projecting right now and then there's Rambo which oh, I'm actually God. hearing is like okay oh really I was reading <laughs> like, terrible well reviews. yeah the reviews are like pretty bad but there's some people who like like the Rambo franchise <laughs> This is the weirdest quote. They said this was uh, Logan for like Rambo. Oh, <laughs> God. They were like, it's that good. I just, the, the couple of reviews I read just said it was just sort of gross and kind of like, it's set in Arizona and he's just killing a lot of Hispanic people oh, and no. it's very like taken but like, just, you know, bad yeah. maybe implications. And oh, also, it does have a 31%, so I guess that reviewer was in the minority ugh. about it. Also, like, the crazy thing is, have you ever seen, or do you know anything about the OG, very first Rambo movie called no. First Blood? So it's like a very kind of down-to-earth, sad kind of drama. Yeah. It's about a Vietnam vet coming back and trying to sort of, I think he's trying to find the family of, like, his partner who was killed in Vietnam, and he's dealing with very intense, like, PTSD, and then the local cops kind of turn on him because they think that he's, like, a troublemaker, so then it becomes sort of like a hunt, you know. Yeah. They're, they're tracking him down, but at the very end, he, like, breaks down like crying uh, from this like PTSD flashback. It's like very intense. Wow. And then it turns in, and then with Rambo First Blood Part 2, which is the funniest yeah. thing in the world, it just turns into a stupid like jingoistic bad action movie. Yeah. But it's like that first movie is a real movie. <laughs> like it's actually good. And it I just, mean that happens with most of these franchises. Yeah. You have like a really good movie that's like deep and has all these layers and then it just turns into an action franchise yeah. after a while. Totally. So I mean that's why I guess I applaud films like Mission Impossible and like yeah. um, I guess just Mission Impossible for <laughs> 
for actually being able to keep up good action movies yeah. past the fifth and sixth movie. Mm -hmm. But on to the news, um, something that I should have seen coming but made me mad anyway was that Robert Downey Jr. is going to potentially come back for a small role in Black Widow um, next oh, year. Really? But they're saying that it might not actually be him coming back, it might be a deleted scene from Iron oh. Man that they're going to put in there, okay. which if it's that, then that's fine. If it's just like, because it, I think Black Widow takes place right after Civil War, so if it's just oh, like okay. a really quick scene that's like Robert Downey Jr. saying like, go hide or something yeah. like that, because I think that's what happened at the end of Civil then that's fine, but like, if it's anything more than that, then I, I just don't want to see that. Like, I am so tired of dead characters coming back. It, like, yeah. That's oh, why yeah. I, genu I wasn't that sad when um, he died in Endgame, because I was just like, none of these deaths really mean it. The only death that's ever meant anything in the MCU was Quicksilver, and that was for like, yeah. business reasons. <laughs> it's because they so, couldn't afford to keep up the licensing from yeah, X-Men. So, uh, yeah, I mean, Black Widow, I guess, will be fun. I thought it was a prequel. Um, well, I guess it depends on when you think of oh, <laughs> prequel. True, it's okay. a prequel to her death. Um, <laughs> um, but it's, yeah, it's, a, it's after Civil War. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean... I just sort of want now that Endgame's done. I'm just want. Oh, I just want to be done with that slate of characters. Yeah. Like, let's just move on, everybody. <laughs> he died. Endgame is over. Mm -hmm. the, that whole phase is done. Let's just yeah. start doing something different. Like, you know, I'm sure you know. Good for him, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, I mean. I mean, they're definitely like. I don't know. They have a Tony Stark problem, like really bad. Like, cause they. Yeah. Because they don't try to put Thor into other people's films that much, and they don't really yeah. try to do that with Captain America. But every single chance they get to put Iron Man in a film, somehow, they try yeah. to insert him in there. Which, which I guess I get, because it was the first Marvel yeah. movie, and it's sort of, I guess he's sort of the backbone of the, you know, the OG Avengers and mm -hmm. stuff. But yeah, I mean, he's not like my favorite of the Avengers. Like he's I never really considered him like the beating heart of the Avengers or anything. I always thought it was Captain America. Yeah. Or I think because Avengers did so well and all of those characters, maybe except for Hawkeye, yeah. like were so charismatic and fun and everyone sort of identified with the different character, he didn't he wasn't as much of a focus. Yeah. I mean, I liked his um individual movies really well. Like I actually really liked Iron Man Three. Me too. Um so, so though he did really well in those, especially when he gets to play with more of the like deeper emotions of Tony Stark. But yeah, I mean, he doesn't need to keep popping up in like. I'm glad he's done in Spider Man. Yeah. I'm assuming they're well, they literally legally can't probably include yeah. him in any more Spider Man movies. Um, but yeah, it's just you know I, I don't know drop drop the Tony Stark thing. I mean yeah I don't like I just think it would be really cool if we never even saw on screen again like um, Iron Man Captain America or. Or, yeah. Um, yeah, or Black Widow, which I mean, I guess we're seeing the Black Widow yeah. movie, but... But that's probably, um, I'm assuming it's probably going to be a, yeah. like, this is the, you know, yeah, oh, yeah. prequel, Hopefully. and then that's it, yeah. But, I mean, like, I'm fine, I understand that we're probably going to get references to him, like, five times every single movie, but, like, if, in my perfect world, I would never have to hear the name, like, Iron Man in MCU. Like, I really like it when characters are dead, and then they're just, like, gone. Yeah. And, like, if anything, it's, like, maybe, like, a they are just included in a story, like, oh yeah, I remember when this person did this, or something Yeah, like that. I like but that, when they reference past events, but don't relive past events, if that makes yeah. sense. Like, I do like that interconnectedness, and how, like, deaths, not always, but sometimes have, like, you know, shockwaves and stuff, but yeah. that character doesn't usually come back, it's more like referencing mm -hmm. 
which I thought was okay in Far From Home. Yeah. Like, he was all over the homecoming, yeah. but I did kind of like in Far From Home that Spider-Man's dealing with his death and, like... Yeah, that made sense for this. And he didn't really pop up, but he was present, but but even that, you know, it's starting to be like, okay, we yeah. fully get it. Let's I mean, when they had to replay the scene of, like, him, at, yeah. like, introducing whatever the thing was, the technology that made Mysterio man, I was like, okay, here we go again. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. um, it was like two months after Endgame. Yeah. But we'll see. And then a thing that really made a lot of people mad, but I've never seen this movie, so I didn't really care too much, was that uh, Norman Lear said that very famous people whose names I won't use. Um, <laughs> okay. But Shady. <laughs> they want to redo The Princess. Oh, Bride I and saw put it on this. Disney Plus. Um, yeah, I is don't, that I confirmed, or is this just kind of it's a rumor, so. old man kind of spreading rumor? Old man being Norman Lear, the legend, but like, yeah, yeah. To me, this didn't seem super credible. Like, this seems like something they maybe Norman Lear was in, like a meeting, and they bounced around the idea. But I, I this doesn't strike me as something that's like truly confirmed. No, I don't think this is yeah. something that's in development. Yeah, but, um, I definitely think it's something that could happen. Now, I was just. Yeah. A lot of people were coming back and they were saying, no, Princess Bride is a perfect movie, which, I mean, I I guess, I mean, I haven't seen it, but I, do love that movie. Um, I was just surprised by it. There was, like, a huge backlash to this. Like, it was, like, yeah. a Godfather remake or something. Well, mm-hmm. I think for a lot of people, the Princess Bride is in that echelon of, like, especially because I think it's also nostalgic for a lot of people, but nostalgic in a way that they don't want to see a remake of. Yeah. Like, nostalgic in the, please don't touch this, which... <laughs> It, I mean, it kind of is a perfect movie, and it's also very of the time. Like, it's very, it has like a lot of comedians from like the early '80s, like Billy Crystal. It's got, um, well, Manny Patinkin's not really a comedian, but it has like yeah. you know, and the score is done by Mark Knopfler. Peter Falk is in it. It's very of the time, and I, I would hate to see a remake of it because it is basically a perfect movie. Like everyone, yeah. in that movie is so good, and also there's a lot of stuff you just couldn't replicate. Like Andre the Giant. Yeah. was such a bizarre casting choice but is literally so perfect in that role that I think trying to do that again would just be bad and you would never be able to recapture the recapture the magic you know yeah it's kind of a cliche I mean, but I'm still just not a fan of reboots anyway but if they oh, were going to yeah. do a sequel then maybe but then the people are kind of old for that anyway yeah um, even that Princess Bride thing they did with Deadpool was kind of weird I didn't like yeah. it um, Once Upon a Deadpool I think it was called oh, I actually walked yeah. out of that movie um, okay. <laughs> because I didn't like Deadpool 2 and I figured that out like 30 minutes into watching Deadpool You're like, 2 oh wait, again. I'm just watching, I'm yeah. watching the movie. Because it was basically the same movie with, like, I recut, think, three or right? four scenes. Yeah. It was just like a scene added with, um, you know, what's his, what's oh, his name? Oh, Fred Savage? Yeah, Fred Savage. Oh, did he actually come back as the kid? Yeah. That's fun. Okay. Yeah, those parts were okay and then, yeah, they took out all the apples. Um, so. And the blood. So, that's, which that's we, I didn't think would take away from the movie that much, but it really does. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the whole kind of, like, gimmick of Deadpool, right? It's yeah. like, he makes it the F word, and they're, like, meta yeah. and dirty or whatever, so. Yeah, I just don't think it would be good. I mean, that is a perfect movie. Yeah. I don't think they should touch it. <laughs> did, you, did you hear about the Face Off reboot, too? Um, vaguely. They want to do yeah. like another face-off movie? Yeah. That's another movie where it's like, good luck trying to recapture that, because that movie is so... Can we curse on here? I always forget. Yeah, sure. Okay, that movie is so bad shit. It's so insane. Like, and you could just, you could never get that insane combo of John Travolta and Nick Cage at their hammiest, cutting each other's faces off. (laughs) Like, that, also the stunts in that movie are insane, which you probably couldn't do now. It was very mid-90s of them to, like, have, like, a boat fly through an explosion and stuff. It just sucks. I don't know what people can, 
I mean, this is the always the eternal question, right? Like, what do you think you're getting out of this? Do you really think it's a story that could use another retelling? Some mm-hmm. stories could. Like, yeah. um, like Dark Crystal, that's kind of interesting because the first movie didn't do as well, but now that it's been some time and people appreciate it more, it would make sense that they would do, like, another story yeah. for that. But, like, Curl... Face Off's a perfect movie. <laughs> perfect in that it's so insane. Yeah, when I was reading the plot, I was like, this seems really 90s. Oh, I don't know if this is going to work it's... in 2019s. Have, have you ever seen Face Off? No, I haven't seen Face Off. It's, it's so bonkers. They have this whole thing. John Tur- uh, we won't go into Face Off, but yeah. pretty much there's just so many insane things <laughs> that have become memes in of themselves yeah. that like, there's no way in hell you could ever remake this. It's so yeah. iconic. Um, so and then it was announced earlier this week that um, following Friends of the NBC's two streaming services, which is called Peacock, is going to yeah. be um, Parks and Recreation. So okay. that means, a- and then Seinfeld is going to Netflix. Yeah. So, and then Big Bang Theory is going to HBO Max with, well, what else is on? Well, oh wait, sorry, Friends is on HBO Max. It's The Office that's on the NB- on NBC's Peacock. That makes so sense. So if okay. you're looking for your, you know, sitcoms, then you have The Office and Parks and Rec on Peacock, you have Seinfeld on Friends, and then you have The Big Bang Theory and Friends. Seinfeld on Netflix, and then you have The Big Bang Theory and Friends <laughs> on HBO Max. All um, Which lot. actually is, seems like a pretty good like pairing, because like The Office and Parks and Rec are like similar type shows built yep. by the same person. Mm-hmm. Um, Friends and The Big Bang Theory are probably the two most like by the book comedies, yeah, I think that have been made. Popular, and I think Two and a Half Men's in there too, which is another like by the book comedy. Yeah, and then Seinfeld is doing its own yeah. thing on Netflix. Which so, I love. <laughs> um, and then the news that was also reported was that they're actively looking to reboot The Office. Um, which really? Of course, um, uh, I never watched The Office, but that again seems like something like why would you bother? It's. I mean, The Office is it's. It was so. It's become so big over the last few years. Like yeah. I knew that a reboot thing was coming, but yeah. Steve Carell has said openly many times that he would not come back. Which is good. Um, yeah. And then I don't know how you're gonna get John Krasinski down, even though he said he would be, you know, happy to do it. But maybe for like a season run, I don't think you can get John Krasinski back for multiple seasons. No. Um, Pam and Angela are starting an Office podcast, so they'd probably be super up for an Office reboot. Yeah. And maybe. Maybe you can do a Dwight and Angela story, but like, yeah, I would leave it alone, but I guarantee you they're not going to leave it alone because they spent $600 million, $500 million to acquire the office. So it's they just probably, so excessive yeah. and stupid. I can't. They spent, they spent, I think, 600 or something to do the Big Bang Theory, too. And I was like, for that show? Yeah. It, it, it's really crazy. Um, but I don't know. I. Peacock is going to be interesting to see how many people, because a lot of people say they just had Netflix to watch The Office and Friends and stuff, which now they're separated. So yeah. NBC is really hoping that those people weren't lying and they're going to get Peacock to watch those two shows in Brooklyn Nine-Nine, because besides that, there's they don't really have any movies to offer, so... Yeah, it I just... I, I feel like we've talked about this on previous episodes, but the whole, like, this proliferation of streaming services... Like, this bubble's gonna burst eventually. Like, what is the what is the point? I mean, I know they just have three shows and they're, like, three of the most popular shows, yeah. but, like, I I mean, I guess I wouldn't put it past people to pay specific amounts of money just to watch one show, but yeah. it just seems kind of short-sighted to only... to have an entire new streaming service just for, like, 
through shows. Also, I think the streaming service that they're doing right now is like basically already a thing and you could do it for free. Like it, there's like an NBC app where you oh. can like watch all of their shows. Is and it? So I now think we have to log in through your cable provider. Yeah, or something? Okay, yeah, yeah. That, that's the thing. But like, so basically, it's just that except. Actually, no, it's just that. Well, I mean, I don't think they have The Office on there right now because The Office belongs to Netflix. But uh, this is just. I mean, I think one episode we'll go through and talk about all the streaming stuff when I guess when they uh, start coming out. But yeah. like, it's just yeah, whatever. It <laughs> yeah. just bodes poorly, I think. Yeah. I mean, I just they always think of like CISO, where they they put I think yeah. Parks and Rec was on CISO for a while, or they mm-hmm. put some of their shows on there as well as they had like fully original content, and CISO went bust, which was I think CISO wasn't NBC Venture, I think. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, Whatever. one of these is going to bust. I actually hope it's not Apple TV Plus because yeah. I've been watching some of these trailers for these Apple TV yeah. Plus shows and they actually look pretty good. Uh-huh. And they're the only people right now who actually seem interested in original content. So, mm-hmm. um, like good original content, yeah. not like stupid web series. They're all going to be on Disney Plus. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then the last thing was Michael Fassbender is in talks to join Taika yeah. Waititi's Next Global Wind, which is the soccer movie yeah. or something that he's doing before Thor. Which, cool. I yeah. mean, I like Michael Fassbender. I like Taika Waititi. There's no bad part of this story. Yeah. The story looked kind of interesting. It was like, um, I think the, I don't know if it was from New Zealand or Samoa, like a Polynesian yeah. kind of like soccer team was like last in the rankings. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know anything different. about soccer. But it was like they were like last in the game, in the, in the competition and they hire like a new coach to, it sounds very like underdog kind of sports. Oh, yeah. I mean, I thought it would be a documentary, but I don't think it is. Um, I think it's... I think it's based on true story. Yeah. I can't, I can't find the... I thought the definition would just type in, or would just come up if I type next global when you knew I did. But, yeah, it, it yeah. seems good. Um, I trust Taika Waititi. Um, and, and it also so. looked kind of interesting, because... Um, oh, what's... Oh, wait. Um, I saw, like, in the press release that they are making a call-out for... Um, Fafine uh, actors, which is sort of like in Samoan culture, apparently. They're sort of like third gender, sort of non-binary mm-hmm. people. Um, they have kind of like a word for it. But they're, I think in the uh, true story, a couple of the members of this soccer team were sort of like non-binary or what yeah. I guess in like the US we'd call non- non-binary. It's more specific in Polynesian culture. But they're like looking for actors to um, that are kind of that non-binary third gender. So that's actually kind of cool. I think that'd be really interesting because that's a really interesting aspect of like Polynesian cultures. So that'd be cool to see in the movie. So yeah. yeah. Um that's it for news, but then the main topic for today is we just wanted to talk about um some of or just I guess our favorite movies in a lot of different genres. But mm-hmm. the weird thing is uh I didn't know how to like strictly define a genre. Oh uh, well, well like it's really <laughs> blurry like, and like, hard. <laughs> because I kinda think of like any type of movie as a genre. Like I think like Space movies is a genre. Yeah. But and I think like mind bending movies are like movies that are psychological and make you think are its own genre. But then some people only do genre as like comedy, horror, romance. Yeah. So Yeah, I, I mean there's I that's kind of the tricky thing with genres, right? Is like how um uh how hard they are to define and how overlapping they are. Like a romantic drama like a romantic drama, is that a romantic film or a drama or is it both? Yeah. Um yeah, but that's also the kind of the cool thing about genre is you could break it down into so many different subgroups. Like you get so niche about genres. Or I could just be like, 
comedy. Yeah, honestly, yeah. the way I think about genres is like if if your movie only fits into one genre or one genre, then you probably made like a very terrible movie. Yeah, it's good if it kind of incorporates a lot of different elements of different yeah. types of movies and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Kind of, yeah, if your movie is like a straight comedy, which means there's like no drama in it, or like I would uh, classify Grown Ups too as like a straight comedy. There's yeah. Not very much drama uh, not or, much like, in or anything <laughs> in there. So, uh, so that's how I go with uh, that. But the first one that I want to talk about, we'll, we'll go broad first, and then we'll kind of go into the more specific. specific, yeah. Um, let's start with comedy. Ooh, so, okay. What are your favorite comedies? I no, nah, this is a hard one. Let me get this, my this one's another sword. one that could be split into like sub oh, categories yeah. because you can have your like teen type comedies. Yep. Um, a lot of animated films could be called like their own type of comedies. Absolutely. And then you yeah. have, um, you know, your adult humor type stuff. And then like you have that. like like black comedies where it's yeah. like kind of a comedy but it's still really intense. Like, like the favorite could be like a Yeah, type like of a comedy. weird comedy so, period comedy drama. Yeah, totally. So this one's this one's kind of hard for me. Um I'm looking at my letterbox now. I re- I do really like the way way back, which I'm gonna talk about I'm gonna I'm gonna use that in my movie spotlight. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, the way way back and Edge of Seventeen are two really good ones. But those are kind of coming of age films. So like, if we put that genre, then that those would be, be the top one. two. Yeah, in absolutely. There. I don't know comedy. Um, okay, favorite some favorite comedies. Um, I like um a couple of old. I have a couple. Normally, I don't really think of myself as a big comedy fan, but because yeah. it's so broad, I'll be looking. I'm looking back now through my letterbox and being like, oh, actually, there are quite a few comedies I like. Mm-hmm. Um, I think old 30s screwball comedies are actually very fun. So, like, um, The Awful Truth with Irene Dunn and Cary Grant, that's a really fun one. It's like they're a couple who's divorcing, and then, like, comedy ensues as they try and, like, yeah. figure out their divorce, divorce, and they're still kind of in love with each other, and they try and sabotage each other's relationships. That's a really fun one. Um, oh, God. Like, there's, like, musical comedies, too, which I don't know if that would be that would kind of count um but also marx brothers comedies from the early 30s i know it's so old but that type of like vaudeville comedy or the specifically the marx brothers types of comedy is very it's still really funny and it holds up really well it's just like dumb gags um kind of funny puns it's just very clever and it's i think it holds up really well i love the marx brothers Mm -hmm. um one because i don't watch too many older movies Mm -hmm. but uh the Twenty One Jump Street is one that really caught me by I, surprise. That was I, so funny. I I rewatched that recently with my brother, and yeah. he really loved it. And Twenty Two Jump Street too is I think yeah. is just about as good. Is that the one better. My name is Jeff. Is that yeah, yeah, yeah. for Twenty Two Jump Street? Okay. That one has so many. Like I laugh every single time though, where it's like, um, you know, I asked the captain's daughter. <laughs> they was like, oh, yeah. oh man, that was that had me like dying in the theater. Um, <laughs> Oh, so. oh, I think I'm, I'm, isn't that where he's like trying to figure out, and then there's like a ding when he finally yeah. realizes it, and he's like, ah, when he freaks out. Oh, okay. Another one that is like fully, I think my favorite comedy of all time is Young Frankenstein from 1974. Yeah, it's the Mel Brooks movie where Gene Wilder is essentially the like grandson of the original Frankenstein, and he makes a new Frankenstein. But it is so funny. Like that's my favorite Halloween movie. It's just the gags are so funny. Gene Wilder underplays everything, so it makes it that much greater. Madeline Kahn's truly iconic in that movie. Yeah. But I think that's like, whenever I think of like my favorite comedies, that's always usually the one I think of, because it's yeah. so funny. Um, another yeah. one for me, Anchorman. I really mm-hmm. I really actually liked Anchorman too as well. I don't know what it was, but mm-hmm. it, just, it got me the day I was in the theater. Um, and then, as a kid, I really liked the first Rush Hour. 
Oh, um, yeah. Uh-huh. So, I don't know. Comedies, I would have to think more about it and then like, put it in subgenres. But those are, I guess, some of mine. Yeah, yeah same. Because, yeah, it's, it's kind of hard to pick a lot of different... There's a lot you could pick for comedy since it is so broad. It's, yeah. Like, I'm looking at... There's, like, yeah, musical comedies, animated comedies, yeah. pop fuzz. Like, that would be one of them for me. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's a nice big category. Definitely. Another, yeah, another uh, genre that has been kind of coming into more, like, prominence lately is the horror um, mm-hmm. with, with, you know, Get Out and stuff like that. Yes. Um, I think I've still seen in single digits horror movies. Same. I'm not um, a big horror, yeah, I'm not a big horror so person. So I guess, I, no, my favorite is The Quiet Place. Hmm. Because I've watched The Quiet Place, Get Out, and Us, and It, Chapter yeah. 1. Those, um, are, those are all solid. So, yeah, those yeah. are all solid movies. Absolutely. Oh, and then... Um, I guess The Witch is a horror movie too, but yeah. I actually wasn't a huge fan of The Witch. Yeah, um, that's my least favorite Anna Taylor Joy movie, even though it's her most acclaimed. Um, it's definitely not as much of. A, I was actually talking to my brother about The Witch yesterday, and how it's not really a horror movie. It's yeah. like a scary family drama. I, um, I kind of felt like not like a thriller, but it was kind of just yeah, more of, more of a drama than it was a horror film yeah. to me. Which huh. I think it was a very effective like scary family drama, but yeah. Yeah, that's definitely um, a weird one. Again, genre. Would you consider that a horror movie just because it's spooky and some spooky yeah. stuff happens? Um, yeah. And then I watched Ouija because Olivia took from that, and that's terrible. Oh, um, that's like, that, that it's one. yeah. I some horror is also hard because I know a lot of people hate the term elevated horror. Yeah. Um, but also some horror movies are like fully trash. <laughs> like oh, my yeah. brother said, he watched like both VHS, like those like terrible like anthology movies oh, yeah, where yeah. it's like three horror stories or something. Mm-hmm. Um. Okay, I'm trying to find some more horror movies. Um, there's one from the f- 40s, 50s? So, oh, 1960. <laughs> Just kidding. It's a French movie called Eyes Without a Face, and it's very... It, that's a really weird one. It's pretty much this um, plastic surgeon whose daughter, I think, got deformed in like a, like a car crash, I think. Mm-hmm. So she has like facial deformities. And he is like a murderer, and he like murders women and tries to take their faces and like mm-hmm. use them as like a skin graft for his daughter. And it's, like, genuinely really freaky because the daughter just kind of wears a mask all the time where you can just see her eyes. So that's obviously horrifying because masks are always scary. And there's this, like, extended scene where he, like, drugs a woman and kidnaps her and, like, slices her face off and you watch it. It's it's a French movie, so I think that's how they could sort of get away with it in 1960. But And then there's, like, a shot at the end where this girl is, like, like, standing in front of a tree that's full of birds it's just very evocative and weird for especially 1960 yeah it's really weird that's a good one um there's another one that i, call, uh, I saw with anna taylor joyna called um the secret of marrowbone Ooh, which has okay. her and i believe sam claflin Cla- oh, okay. I, yeah. I don't know how to say his name Claflin's. but um it's like i don't remember the exact but it's like this this family is either them their father was like a murderer or something mm-hmm. like that so he went away and they've been and I think their mother died too, so they've been kind of living in this house alone. Ooh, and tricky. then um, all of a sudden, like weird stuff starts happening, and I don't know. I can't really explain that one too much without giving away what happens at the end. Yeah. But <laughs> Secret of Maribel was something that really surprised because I didn't expect to like it too much. I was just like, okay, Anne isn't it? Let me give yeah. it a uh, chance. But then that one was quite surprising, and then the ending genuinely surprised me, which doesn't happen too much mm-hmm. um, nowadays anymore. Yeah, so absolutely. Those are a few horror ones. Uh, a horror com- really quickly a horror comedy again yeah genre overlaps but um like this is kind of a classic but the evil but evil did too directed by sam raimi mm-hmm. that's like a really fun horror comedy it's yeah. 
it's like spooky, but it's also slapstick. And like, at one point, Bruce Campbell has to cut off his own hand, which then becomes alive, so he has to fight his own decap, like yeah. his own severed hand. That's like another fun. I think that I mean that's like the classic horror comedy, but that's just such a fun example of genre overlap and how you can play around with a lot of different. Well, there, that's like, um, Dan Merle said something that I really liked, and he, he was like trying to figure out what's a horror movie and what's not a horror movie, and yeah. he, made it, he called um, something the Ghostbusters line. Yeah, and he said, that's yeah, yeah. like the perfect blend of both, and he said, if your movie is more horror than the Ghostbusters, then it's a horror movie, and, and if it's less horror it's than funnier. the Ghostbusters, then it's a comedy. That's a, that's a but, really good, like, distinction of, yeah. Because, yeah, I watched, I didn't get, to, I didn't get through all of Ghostbusters, but I was really like, yeah, I don't know where to exactly put this, because there are parts of it that are kind of scary, but then, yeah. yeah I it, think it's, it's generally more known as a comedy, but yeah, yeah, yeah it's, that's a good, that's a good <laughs> test, I think. Yeah. Um, let's go into ro- uh, romance films, but then we'll okay. put it in the two categories, because there's like, your romance dramas, and then there's your rom-com. So let's start right. with like, dramatic romance films. Ooh, okay. Romantic films. Um, one, ah, no, that's a rom-com. I know, and that's also hard because those are two very different kinds of movies. Yeah. Like rom coms are very distinctive in their like genre trappings mm-hmm. of like the beats of a rom com. But then yeah, like a sad romantic drama is. I mean, or not sad, but but usually they're sad. But again, but that's also hard because like okay, is it usually sad? Is it can it be happier? Does it veer into rom com? Yeah, it's it seems really like if it's a happy romance story, then it's probably, uh, yeah, it's probably a rom a rom com. Because the notebook kind of ends on it. Actually, no, the notebook doesn't end on a happy note. Because um, the romance dramas I can think of are usually about sick people. Like <laughs> The Fault in Our Stars. Someone's Cancer. Like, um, yeah. The one with Amelia Clark and um, what's it called? Oh, um, Me Before You. Yeah, Me Before You. Yeah. Those are the type of romance drama films that I think about. Yeah. But. Okay, I think um, I have I think I have a couple really good yeah. ones. Um, so th- there's one from 1945 called Brief Encounter, directed by David Lean. It's a British film, and it's directly post-war, so it has that kind of interesting vibe of this being very very recently close to the end of World War II. But it's about this sort of married housewife who, um, you know, is like kind of just living her life, and she every week or like twice a week or something, she takes the train to go into town to get groceries and stuff, and there she meets this doctor and they kind of strike up a friendship and it develops into kind of an affair and she sort of is racked with guilt on if she should leave her husband and her family and, and go with this doctor and it's it's kind of intense it's very subtle but it's the performances are amazing and it's a really interesting kind of look at this very normal woman I think in the movie she talks about like no one ever expects this to happen to them but now I don't know what to do and it's really subtle but it's really beautiful and I think that's a that's a really great one. And it's all shot in black and white, so it's this beautiful, high-contrast black and white. Yeah. Um, lovely movie. I think I have um, it on Criterion. I looked up romance movies, and there's so many that I forgot are really romance I know, movies. Like, yeah. um, A Star is Born kind of draws a line because it's kind of also a music movie, which that's another genre we can talk about right, a little yeah. later. Uh-huh. But um, Call Me By Your Name is definitely a romance movie. I was going to say probably Call Me um, By Your Name. That's so swoony and, and then, so romantic. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the Big Sick is one, which oh, yeah. I, can also be a comedy. Um, well, it's also definitely... well. That big thing is a hard one to play because that's in very the hospital, dramatic. like in a coma. So it's like, like there are parts of it that are funny, and then there are lots of it that's very not. I think funny. that makes a great. I think that that's what makes a great romance movie, though, is there can be some very serious moments, but still the lightness of it. Yeah. Um, so I don't even know. Line. Maybe Big Sick goes between. See, that one could be a romance oh, drama, like, romance like a dra- comedy, like a dramedy. Yeah, yeah. totally. Um, La La Land, which is a kind of a musical, or it is a musical. Um, and then. Yeah, those, those are a few. 
I guess for drama, yeah, those would be kind of the top ones for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, then, even though this director is a terrible person, um, Blue is the Warmest Color was a pretty good movie. Same. Um, I, I know that's a very controversial movie, but I thought, you know, other than the sex scenes, the plot was actually very sad and really emotional, and yeah. that worked really well. Um, oh, some other ones? I think Eternal Sunshine and The Spotless Mind. Yeah. That is a horrifically sad movie, but um, ironic, considering it's Jim Carrey. But, mm-hmm. um, but that's an amazing movie and so unique. Like, I remember when we showed it for Meteor Theater, um, me and the guy I was working with at the time, Jay, were just like crying in like the Clark Center RIP. Yeah. Um, because it was just very intense, but that's a great one. Um, also like In the Mood for Love, the, um, Wong Kar Wai, uh, Hong Kong movie from yeah. 2000. That's a good, that's another really swoony, like really beautifully shot movie. Very romantic. And, you know, kind of sad. Yeah. As most of these dramas usually are. I will say, I tried to watch Before Sunrise and I didn't quite get through oh. it because... It is very dialogue heavy, and I wasn't ready for that. Oh I yeah! Think. Oh, it's it's all talking. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. I was like, wow, okay. it's been like thirty minutes, and it's just a conversation. I don't know, like about because it was like ten o'clock at night. I was like, I don't know if I'm ready yeah. to do that for the next hour. I forgot but, about that. Oh, um, that trilogy's amazing. Yeah. Once you know episode. what it is, it's yeah, yeah. it's so beautiful, and that's oh god. Okay, that's probably not up there with my favorite oh, yeah. romantic dramas. Mm-hmm. And then for romantic comedy, okay. that one's a little total bit shift. Again. Yeah. Um, uh, about time. That's my number one. Oh, um, I need to watch that. People. Yeah, I know it's really good. I, I think it's on Netflix okay. or one of those. Maybe Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it has Rachel McAdams and Domhnall Gleeson. Domhnall Gleeson um, and Bill Nighy. And Bill Nighy. Yeah. This is dad, right? Um, and it's like it's kind of it's a time travel like movie. Like uh, Bill Nighy tells Domhnall Gleeson that like you know if you go into the closet and like click your boobs or something. It was it's like <laughs> kind of like a a stupid plot, but like it, it made. I don't know, they made it work well, but it's like you can go back in time and like relive these moments. So and so he's like reliving all these moments with this girl and it kind of also becomes very I was like, gonna say, very I, real after Yeah, because I've heard it's also kinda sad. So again, is it definitely drama comedy? because there's like this one caveat of using it that I won't like spoil, but like yeah, once that comes in it becomes like quite Pretty serious intense. out of nowhere. <laughs> um, um okay. but yeah, about time is that's a movie that just completely because I saw it was um the dude who wrote Love Actually, which is a film that I thought I liked, then I watched the full movie of, because for a long time I didn't realize that I never watched the full entirety of Love Actually. It's I just lot. watched the last 20 minutes, and I, after watching the last 20 minutes, I was like, I don't know why people hate this movie. This is like a pretty good movie. Then I watched all of it, and I like, was like, oh, oh no. Okay, um, <laughs> yeah. That, that, oh my God, that scene with the dude who goes to America and then has like, that's the absolute girls. worst plot in that whole movie. It's like, so bad. I could not believe that that like was written and then got made. Like, and it's the people re- acted in it. It's really bad. Um, like, there's some parts of that movie that are amazing. Like, I think the the Emma Thompson Alan Rickman story where he's having an affair with the secretary. Mm-hmm. That's done really well. And then you have like the terrible like British guy moving to America to have sex. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, rough. It's <laughs> like thirty percent of that movie works really well. And, yeah. and then there's like forty that's like you know like. Yeah, it's a real and mixed then, bag. And then, yeah, there's some of it that's really bad. But yeah. About Time is written by that same dude, and he did a much better job. Oh, is it Oh, is it um, Richard Curtis? Yeah. Okay, so then I'll pick Four Weddings and a Funeral. Um, I did think you write that, that too? Yes. Oh, nice. uh, it's this whole British rom-com thing. Yeah. I think Four Weddings and a Funeral is really fun. Um, it's, like, very, very British, so, like, the sensibility is there. Um, mm-hmm. But that's a really fun one. I think all the characters are great. It's, like, peak Hugh Grant floppy hair rom-com yeah. vibe, which is the best. 
Um, Hugh Grant is secretly one of my favorite actors. Like, I love I just, him. I just get so excited when I see him on screen. Yeah, and I feel like he's great because he can do like the kind of stuttery rom-com yeah. dude, or he can flip and be very cynical and weird. Oh, like, yeah. did you ever see A Very English Scandal? I did. Yes, he's amazing in that and plays like kind of slimy and weird, uh, yeah. but also charming because, you know, he's Hugh Grant, he's very mm-hmm. charismatic, but yes. that's, yeah, that's um, great. Uh, this one kind of veers into is it more romance or is it more comedy this one veers more comedy um, but Crazy Stupid Love is oh, one that yeah. I really liked at the time I don't know if I would uh, like it as much today but I think I would um, I think a lot of people still really love that movie yeah, yeah because I watched some of the scenes and I'm like I, this, this scene doesn't work as well like most of the stuff with Ryan Gosling I'm like this doesn't work as well yeah. in 2019 but mm-hmm. I, I really thought it was funny at the time mm-hmm. so Crazy Stupid Love would be up there for a rom-com for me, the ultimate number one rom-com is When Harry Met Sally. Yeah. I, it's so great. It's just, again, I think it's I think it's similar, well, it's similar because I think they were both directed by Rob Reiner, but it's similar mm-hmm. to The Princess Bride in that it's such a specific era of, like, comedic actors in, like, the late 80s, or this one, I think, was the early 90s? 89, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so it has that kind of sensibility. I think Billy Crystal plays it really really well like he does the kind of serious depression side of that character so well meg ryan is like truly luminous she was the queen of the rom-coms and for a reason because she's so funny Mm -hmm. um and like also it's all like a shot of like shots of new york and autumn so it's very beautiful but that's a great one and they have like such great chemistry and it's so sweet i love that movie yeah um moving yeah there's a lot um moving on to science fiction Ooh, okay. Um, now this one's another hard one because like you can do space movies are one thing, and then there's been like a weird More thing like with like sci-fi superhero movies, which have become a thing. Yeah, true. A lot. So I I don't like I don't even really know how to like I haven't seen Star Wars, so I guess that's a science fiction film too. Right? Well, like, that's like a whole like debate. Like, is yeah. it sci-fi or is it like a space fantasy? Because yeah, it's kind of more of like a fantasy movie or if you're talking about genre trappings yeah. like what defines a fantasy as opposed to a sci-fi movie because it's less technical and more spiritual magical kind of with the force and stuff yeah. so that's like a whole debate with like diehard fans or something but uh, I mean like it's sci-fi come on it's in space yeah. so there's like weird tech they're using like blasters and lightsabers so. well I mean science fiction is kind of the easiest one to define because you can just say like if there's like science in this movie that is like fictional yeah um, yeah. It's probably yeah. Science fiction <laughs> fictional <movie>. science yeah <laughs> um, but then this is this one's this one's one that's kind of dominated for me by Nolan because basically oh, all true. of his films are science fiction or at least past twenty ten most of his films yeah. are science fiction. So true. yeah, Inception and Interstellar both go into there. Yeah. Another one, Arrival. Um, oh, if you that's want to talk so about good. That's really good. Um, that's Avengers an amazing Endgame. movie. Yeah. <laughs> There's so much fictional science in Avengers Endgame. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it's really pushing it. But yeah, those are the those are my three top ones. But also honorable mention to Looper, which I really like. Oh yeah, yeah. And then you can get more of the like more grounded. I think sci-fi sort of like Looper or like maybe to an extent Inception because they're not blasting off to space, but it's mm. like a fictional science in the realm of maybe something that's like possible or more yeah. trippy. It's, yeah. I do really like like science fiction films that like take place on Earth. Yeah. And, and yeah. yeah, it's like this is like this is just an alternate reality of like what modern could have been like today yeah. or like this could be in the future rather than, you know, we're gonna Space. go to a different planet and see what's yeah. happening over there. Absolutely. Um, okay, so some of my favorites, um a lot of these are kinda older, but um I mean Tesla on a Space Odyssey is like the mm-hmm. high watermark. It had pretty much invented the genre. Yeah. It's I mean it's truly 
shocking, like, what they could just do. And considering that this, that movie was released, like, by a major studio into theaters in, like, 1969, is, or 68? 68. Um, is bonkers. It's really beautiful and really intensely shot with all the details and it's like weird and it gets into the sort of freaky metaphysical stuff it's that's a great one um yeah. close encounters did you ever see close encounters I didn't close. that's a really sweet one it's definitely it has aliens and stuff but it has a very human story with richard dreyfus and it's a lot of like i mean it's a spielberg movie so there's a lot of like father family drama yeah. but that's really great alien slaps that movie's amazing um Oh, I mean, I don't know if this counts if it's more of a comedy, but I mean, like, Back to the Future. Yeah. I love Back to the Future. <laughs> I think that's, like, my brother's favorite movie, or one of his favorites, but... Um, I think I, I watched that one. I haven't, I haven't got to it yet. But it's tons of fun. I think they put it back on Netflix, or they took it off of Netflix, which is either one. Yeah. I'm going to try to watch it. I'm probably um, forgetting some, but, I mean, there's so yeah, many I amazing I feel like ones. I'm forgetting uh, some big ones. I know a lot of people like Gravity. That wasn't my favorite. I didn't like I that one. I saw Gravity, much. actually. Um, it's... It looks nice. Um, yeah. Well, that's kind of a lot of... I'm not a huge fan of Alfonso Cuarón with a huge budget, um, just <laughs> in, in general. So yeah. that was one of those where kind of the same thing with Roma. I was like, this looks beautiful and it's shot well, but mm-hmm. I am, I do not like this story and I'm quite bored. Um, the Planet of the Apes trilogy. That's that's another really the, big one. The, the new the Planet new of one? the Apes okay. uh-huh. trilogy. All three of those. I, I think see those. those go... I think it might go down for me if, if the Dark Knight trilogy didn't exist like True. as maybe my favorite trilogy of Ooh, all time because okay. it was Toy Story but yeah. like I really don't like it when a trilogy does a fourth one so it's diminished that Toy Story yeah. franchise for mm-hmm. me so now in terms of something well they're about to make a new Planet of the Apes <laughs> movie too which is about to diminish this trilogy for me but those three movies just in terms of the first one was like um, it was kind of really grounded and it was like a personal story between James Franco who I completely forgot was in the first <laughs> yeah. James Franco and then Caesar and then mm-hmm. Caesar kind of becoming into his own and then the ending of that is like really emotional and then it's like their separation and stuff and then the second one you move on and Caesar is this leader of yeah. all these chimps and then it's like his struggle with Koba who's like a rebel rebelling against him and it's mm-hmm. like the tribe doing their like inner stuff against each other and then the third one's just like a full out war movie between yeah. like um, the apes and the humans for like control of the earth so that that that's like a really cool progression between like three really different types of movies yeah all totally. three of them and I give Matt Reeves like a lot of credit because the second one's so different from the first one yeah but they're both really good and then he really did it well in the third one so mm-hmm. the, yeah the Planet of the Apes trilogy that's a good is, one yeah is another good one and Wally with that good song oh, yeah. which is delightful also my last one that i'll pick i don't know if this is considered um sci-fi but uh robocop the og one by paul yeah, yeah. that movie is so much fun it's i mean i keep saying the word bonkers but like mm-hmm. it's a it's kind of insane all the performances are over the top it was shot in dallas so that, that's yeah. great peter weller's amazing it's just it's so funny and sly and weird for being like an 80s action movie yeah great i love robocop my last two are snowpiercer and her i talked about Ooh, snowpiercer oh, on the uh, yeah but um snowpiercer is this like really crazy but yeah. then like really good and then yeah her is her i think her is like i think maybe one of the most perfect sci-fi movies because it's like again it's like it's not space or like you know yeah. blasters or whatever but it's it's taking technology in a really interesting way and like her is something that could happen like very soon <laughs> so, yeah and I, and I like how it wasn't like a 
the thing that I really liked about this one is that it wasn't a huge like overarching world type story like the oh yeah like like I, I like I am robot it's fine but like <laughs> it's not it was kind of like that okay you know big robots are gonna destroy the world and it's like I've seen this before but then this yeah. one was like a really personal Very story intimate. about yeah. Walking Phoenix and Scarlett Johansson's voice yeah um, so, <laughs> or Cena um, so yeah. yeah her is her is really good her is great um, I always forget about her that's yeah. a good one. Uh, I was gonna do drama, but that's too broad. Um, <laughs> literally, anything. that's like literally yeah. almost any movie ever. Yeah, sorry, drama. Um, biopics. Ooh, oh, okay. So, um, oh god. Uh, is there a category in here on Letterboxd for it? Let me see. Let's see. Oh god, I don't think there is. Oh no, I'm gonna have to do it manually. Okay. Uh, I think. I I think I've talked about this on the, on the podcast before. I really like these biopics that are like you know really about like one specific thing instead of like an overarching thing or overarching story like cradle to grave like yeah yeah totally so i think a few of my favorites were steve jobs Mm -hmm. um the theory of everything i thought was really good Mm -hmm. um and then i like the imitation game um i think those are my top three oh what's the one with russell crowe and woody harrelson that one was fine too um or not woody harrelson ed harris um, a Beautiful Mind? Yeah, Beautiful Mind. Mm-hmm. That, it, it wasn't great, but that one was pretty good as well. Um, yeah, I guess <laughs> those are probably mine. I did not like Lincoln. I thought Lincoln was very oh, boring. I saw it in theaters. It's very slow. Yeah. Um, great performances, though. But oh, yeah. yeah. But it's um, it's about getting a bill passed, which, yeah. you know, I mean, your I mileage feel, may vary. <laughs> it just wasn't what I was expecting, I think. I think, it, I think it wasn't what a lot of people were expecting. It's yeah. very political and kind of by the books mm-hmm. um i don't know if this is considered a biopic because it's sort of about two guys but um all the president's men it's about the woodward and bernstein uncovering the watergate scandal yeah um i don't know if it's a biopic because it's maybe more of like a journalism drama but that's really a great movie um yeah. just and it's shot like a 70s like paranoia thriller because it you know it, it was yeah. that era but so it's very creepy and weird and um just the way they uncovered everything was great and um, a film that I like, I know a lot of people um, kind of have gone back on this film because it beat some other really good films <laughs> at the Oscars, but I did like The King's Speech quite oh, a bit. Yeah. Um, great performances from Colin Firth and um, Jeffrey Rush. Colin Firth is another dude. I see him, because I know he's in 1914 or 1917, whatever um, Sam Mendes' new film was. Yeah, the new and fake Dunkirk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it looks um, a lot like I Dunkirk. saw the first one, and the uh, first review for it was like, everyone's saying this is better than Dunkirk and I'm like just because they're like you know said in like or just because they kind of look the same doesn't mean you necessarily have to compare them because when I watched the trailer I was like it doesn't seem like Sam Mendes and Christopher Nolan were out to do the same thing like this one looked a lot more character driven while Christopher Nolan's was very story driven yeah yeah, Yeah. because he didn't really seem to care about too many of the characters because he wanted to focus more on the aspects of which yeah. it looks like Sam Mendes is looking to do something a little bit different. So yeah. I'm going to watch 1914 or 17. I think 17, because I think it's like the end of the war. But yeah, I like the King's Speech. Uh, uh, oh, God, okay. It does Catch Me If You Can, which is technically a biopic. Oh, so yeah. I like that film, too. That's true. Um, okay. And then the, the Aviator, too. Oh, I really like, oh, okay, I really like The Aviator. I'm going to pick the, oh, no, that's not a biopic. I was going to pick The Master, but it's not actually about L. Ron Hubbard. It's about uh, a fake L. Ron <laughs> Hubbard. Dang it. Okay, I was going to um, pick that. The Social Network um, is good another one. good one. Um, is, uh, no, Zodiac's not a biopic. 
Yeah. No, especially because it's about three. It's like no. an ensemble yeah. kind of cast, I guess. Um, I'm gonna pick. Um, I didn't. I liked this movie. I didn't love it, but I just kind of appreciate it more for its kind of experimental vibe. I'm gonna pick. I'm not there. It's the Bob Dylan quasi biopic by mm-hmm. Todd Haynes. Um, but he did it in a way where he splits up Bob Dylan's persona into different characters, kind of different aspects of his, you know, personality and his brand, yeah. you know, his, his image. Um, and I think it was just a really interesting way of doing a biopic, very impressionistic, kind of like what he did to Velvet Goldmine, but he actually is doing it explicitly about Bob Dylan. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I thought that was like a really interesting take on a biopic. It's definitely more fragmented and weird, but I, I thought it was really interesting. So that's a great one. Yeah, there are a few on here where it's like I forget that they're biopic. I know, like, yeah. Like um, Hacksaw Ridge is a biopic. Yeah, I'm like, I that, that was, pacifist guy. Yeah, so there's a lot of good ones. Biopics, it, yeah, it really depends on the subject matter and like if the if the director really is trying to tell a story or if they're just trying to you know fill a Wikipedia yeah, yeah. page. <laughs> um, next one is which it's weird because this has kind of been taken over by the superhero franchise or just like franchises in general, but the action. Uh, genre, Ooh. just in terms of like, what's a really good action movie? We talked about Mission Impossible, so that's yes. a good franchise. It seems like action movies are usually nowadays sequels to old action movies. Yeah, I can't remember the last, you know, really original action movie to come out. Actually, Free Fire was an action movie. I didn't see it, but like, Ellie chose um, that one. But oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> um, okay, I some. I. I Okay, I'm trying to think of ones that are original. I was going to say Mad Max Fury Road, but that's obviously a sequel. But well, I mean, that one is Mad Max good. Fury Road is so good. Um, okay. Oh, I think, I don't know if Mad from Uncle counts. I know that was a reboot. Oh, that yeah, was, Mad that from was kind Uncle of a standalone sort of fun. That was its own thing. That was more thing. a spy yeah. movie, though. Or, well, there was a weird ATV chase, which dragged on yeah. for too long, I think. We can talk about spy movies, too. Actually, let's, let's drop action. No, actually, one. I do have some actually okay. really good action ones. Okay, I would say... Um, Point Break, the original Keanu Reeves, yeah. um, um, Patrick Swayze one is amazing. Roadhouse from Patrick Swayze is kind of insane. He rips out a man's throat with his bare hands, which is sick. <laughs> um, there's just tons of, I think, great, I mean, 80s and 90s action movies. Commando, I mean, these aren't great per se, but in Commando, he physically lifts up a man in a phone booth and throws it over his head. That's amazing. He rides, a, oh, True Lies, he rides a horse into an elevator. I mean, there's, oh, oh um, okay, another great one is Police Story. The OG Jackie Chan early 80s Hong Kong yeah. action movie, or Taiwanese action movie. That's amazing. Like, those stunts are absolutely insane. He, like, is hanging off the back of a truck. He slides down a pole in a mall covered with lights, which apparently he got, like, burns on his hand. Oh, yeah. That is a breathtaking movie, and just in terms of stunts. And there's a lot of, like, slapstick comedy, obviously, because it's Jackie Chan. But oh, yeah. um, Police Story blew me in my brother's mind. It was... Crazy. I think it's on Criterion now. Jackie too. Chan is somebody who definitely needs to be oh in the God. conversation with, probably above Tom Cruise as like mm-hmm. some of the most committed to his stunts like actors. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. oh yeah. Um, There's a lot of great action movies. Like yeah, it seems like most of them Over were the in the '90s or '80s. Um, I mean, that's like truly the peak of like the yeah. best action movies. I mean, I applaud John Wick for what it did oh, in, in twenty. Yeah, but um, that's that's like. I mean, now it's a franchise, but that was a pretty, you know, that's yeah. a nice, a new original movie. I never saw Atomic Blonde, but maybe, you know. Yeah, I, I heard mixed things about it, but I like Charlize Theron. It's something um, new, at least. You yeah. Know? Just yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll give him credit. All um, you can ask for. Just Baby Driver, which is an action movie, which I'll give him credit for making it. Yeah, you know? a car action. Yeah. Um, 
That's kind of like its own little genre. Um, yeah. The Dark Knight is not action. <laughs> Actually, I guess all superhero movies are action movies, so. Yeah. <laughs> I guess. Okay. Um, moving. This is one where I don't know if I could think of any, but have you, like, recently. Cause this is a genre that's kind of went away, but, like, a truly adventure movie. <laughs> like, a um, movie about going. It's because it seems like most adventure movies now are either a comedy about, like, a group of friends going on some type of adventure where, like, yeah. craziness ensues or. A space exploration movie, um, but I can't think of like since Indiana Jones like a real adventure. Um, the movie. Mummy. Oh yeah. The British British. <laughs> like I think my brother and I watched that recently, and that's just that is very. It feels very throwback to like um, those kind of old adventure movies. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I'm looking at. <laughs> I'm looking at it on Letterbox, the adventure subgenre, and they include yeah. like Black Panther, which like that's not true. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's hard. Um, did you ever see Hunt for the Wilder People? No, I didn't. But that's kind of an adventure movie because they get um, Sam Neill and the kid get stuck in the woods and they kind of have to like find their way back and on the way they bond and stuff. I think I would maybe consider that like a light adventure movie. Okay, I'll include that. And that's I feel also like most adventure movies. Like I, I can't think of an adventure drama. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It'd probably be all on that. National thing. Treasure. I mean, National Treasure. <laughs> both of those are. I love National <laughs> Treasure so much. I miss Nicolas Cage. I want Nicolas Cage and Shia LaBeouf to be in um, a movie together. Because I don't think it's ever happened, but I just feel like it would be so I feel like so their crazy. energies would like, play off each other. And oh, they're yeah. both primed for like a renaissance. Like Shia LaBeouf's coming back. Yeah. Nick Cage did Mandy, which like, you know, yeah. if he just does a couple more projects like that, I think we could be in a full-blown like renaissance. And yeah. speaking of The Mummy, I... I don't know, I think it was on Facebook or something, but someone was talking about how great Brendan Fraser was in the 90s, mm-hmm. and everyone was like, we should have, like, a Brendan Fraser renaissance, because yeah. there was a story that came out in GQ that was, like, I don't know if you ever read that story, but it was really sad, like, he was actually, like, yeah. the victim of sort of, like, a sexual assault, and he kind of mm-hmm. got blacklisted, and he had tons of injuries because of stunts, which, yeah. I think he did a lot of his own stunts, so he had, like, a really bad back, um, but he seems like such a cool guy, and I feel like, you know... The, with the internet and like pop culture, I think we're right on the precipice of like a Brendan Fraser renaissance. You just need to yeah. pick like one good movie, one project, and that would like kick it off. It like seems, yeah, like when Mummy was, if Mummy had worked, then maybe he would have been back in like the uh, the like the reboot of Mummy with like yeah. maybe he would have been back in That's like kind the, of an adventure because movie, maybe. wasn't he in Mummy for a second? Like I think I don't know, I never it, saw it, yeah. but it seemed like a very different take on it. Yeah, it seems like a like, I think he did a cameo in it or something like oh. that because I thought it would have been something like. Um, like Keanu Reeves, I mean Keanu Reeves has kind of been back in the pop culture. Keanu Reeves fully stuff, has had a renaissance, but like, yeah. um, but it seemed like it was like those little cameos and stuff that like kind of just got people thinking about Keanu Reeves again. So maybe yeah. if people actually liked yeah. um, that mummy, then people would have just been thinking like, oh yeah, I remember Fraser. That's Fraser, love him. Um, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, adventure films. Adventure films are kind of hard. I Moon love, it. I love adventure I like films. Them. Oh, that would be like yeah. a good adventure movie. Um, I love adventure movies. They're yeah. such like fun throwbacks and yeah, yeah. I think Moonrise Kingdom is a good one. Um, um, oh brother, where art thou? That's like oh, a yeah. fun road movie. Um, Life of Pi, which I really liked oh, when I was in, when I saw that in theaters, because mm-hmm. it was it was very different than what I was expecting, but I still liked it. Um, <laughs> Jurassic Park, I guess. Um, <laughs> except I didn't love Jurassic Park actually. The OG, but, the '93. Yeah. yeah. It's just a. I should have known that it was going to be a little bit dated because it was from like um, that long ago. I still think it holds up really well. It holds to me. It holds up as like a good movie, but not a great movie. 
I guess. Yeah. But also I saw it on like my thirty two inch TV. Well, no, I think I saw it on like a fifty inch TV. But still, yep. it's different than if I would have seen it in theater. A theater. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and then uh, any good documentaries? I, I this is not something that I really Ooh. go into too um, much. Um, yeah, I think there's a couple that I've seen lately. Um, the um, the 20, uh, 20 Feet from Stardom I watched a couple years ago is a documentary about backup singers, and it's just highlighting kind of the history of backup singers and the sort of lives of backup singers and sort of like literally the unsung heroes of a lot of songs. That was really interesting. I think it won Best Documentary because then, um, oh, what's her name? Darling Love. She's like one of the most famous backup singers. Yeah. And she's featured really heavily in the movie. She came and like sang their acceptance speech. She was like singing yeah. on stage, and everyone was like, "Yeah!" I'm like losing it, but that's a really great one. Um, the celluloid closet for me and and Paris is Burning are both sort of related. But um, Paris is Burning is obviously like a really groundbreaking documentary about ball culture in the early '90s in New York. But um, it like it introduced so many slang words that you say like shade, ring. Tea, like, yeah. and it's really important also just to show that sort of subculture. And the the really sad thing is a lot of those people featured in the documentary died of AIDS. Mm. I, I don't know if this is a spoiler for a documentary from the '90s, but they feature kind of one trans uh, girl who's really young. I think her name's Angel. But during the course of the filming, she was like murdered by. I think she works as a sex worker, and she was murdered and like left under a bed during the filming of the movie. And they reveal that in the movie, and it's horrifically sad. And it's just, it's from the 90s, but it's still very relevant in terms of, like, featuring the trans community and the ball scene and people of color and trans women of color specifically. Um, But it's also really fun. Just, like, the ball scenes are really fun and very energetic. That's a great one. Um, Also, do you consider concert movies a documentary? Uh, yeah, they can be. Okay, so then Talking Heads, The Last Waltz, and Disney Stardust one are all yeah. so good. <laughs> oh, and also Live Aid, that's an amazing. Yeah. It's really long. We tried watching it the other day, because we have all of it on DVD. It's very long. But, I mean, yeah. like, it showcases, like, literally, I mean, the Queen Live Aid performance and the Bowie Live Aid performance is great. Um, that highlights a lot of amazing performances. So. Yeah. I, I don't, it's been a really long time since I've seen a documentary besides the Coldplay one that came out, which mm-hmm. I've seen four times. But, um, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, uh, I can't remember if I actually saw the Fred Rogers one. Oh, um, I need to see that still. Um, Won't You Be My Neighbor? There's yeah. a lot from this past year that I really, or last year too. Yeah, I really like, wanted to see the Identical Twins one, but I didn't see yeah. uh, I heard the Ruth Bader Ginsburg one was great. Mm-hmm. The Apollo 11, I still miss that even though we showed it here. Oh, yeah. I <laughs> um, my parents both watched it and they said it was amazing, so I'd like to watch that. But yeah. they've had a resurgence lately that I really need to get up to date on. One that was huge in maybe the 80s, maybe probably the 60s, um, mm-hmm. but then kind of on the way is Western. Mm-hmm. Um, that Western classic? is hard because, yeah, I haven't watched any Westerns. Many, well, I mean, I guess Logan can kind of be considered a Western. Um, I would consider that a Western. And then... A neo-Western, yeah. Um, where do Quentin Tarantino movies fall? Um, I mean, Hateful Eight and Django, I think, are Westerns. Yeah. I would consider those Westerns. But what if... Mm, once Upon a Time takes place in that time period, so I wouldn't consider it a Western. No, nah, I mean, that's not, not really. I mean, that's yeah. just like a 60s movie. Yeah. Was, you know, set in the 60s. No, um, but I like Django, so Django's yeah. one. Um, I've seen a couple Westerns. 
got a couple of them I do really like. Um, Tombstone from the 90s with Kurt Russell and Val Kilmer yeah. and a million other people. That movie is kind of ludicrous. Like, it's sort of campy, but it's so much fun, and the costumes are great, and it's... That's a really fun one. That's a... It, it verges on campy, but that's a great one. Um, I think my favorite, though, hands down, is Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid from 1969. Um, it's like a buddy... Not buddy, cops, but they're like... It's like a buddy movie. They're West... It's like a Western... They're robbing trains. Robert Redford and Paul Newman are like the most charismatic people on screen. So when they're together, it's even more charismatic. Um, it's really fun. It's kind of a comedy. That's a great one. I think that's probably like my favorite Western. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, there was, yeah, and The Revenant, which is something that I don't really consider a Western because it's like, you know, you consider Western, you consider like a lot of sand and like stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, like, Yeah, when you're really in like, when you're in the cold or stuff, like people don't think about that. You yeah. think about it more of like a survival film or something like that. But yeah, yeah Revenant's probably definitely. Well, a how would you de- how would you define a western? Because I think it, for me, yeah. it's not. It's like man contending with nature, lawlessness, like kind of the frontier. Yeah. Um, a lot of times, like travel or like road movies, which mm-hmm. the Revenant would make sense because they're just yeah. trying to like get get through the wilderness to get back home. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would definitely consider the Revenant to be well, a Western. Would you, um, this is kind of a weird one, but do you think Everest is a Western? Um, probably, I think my dad watched that movie. Probably not, because yeah. I think also for me a big part of Westerns is like dealing with like a lawless society. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Everest is sort of just maybe more of a survival yeah. movie. As opposed to dealing with like, you know, like frontier towns and like yeah. contending with lawlessness or contending with... I guess, yeah, that's yeah. probably the distinction, because a survival movie, you're really just dealing with nature. The elements, oh, then, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is like, why I think, like, Logan would, I think, count, because you're dealing with lawlessness and sort yeah. of, like, frontier, you know, when he's, like, in Mexico trying to protect that kid. Yeah. Um, it's trying to find humanity in sort of a lawless kind of town, or a lawless society, but, yeah. like, on here it says Giant would be a Western. I don't really think that's a Western. It's a movie about Texas oil development in the 50s. It's the right setting, but I don't consider that really a western. But anyway, yeah. um, thrillers. So this is Ooh, this okay. is maybe one of my favorite subgenres. It gets put in with horror a lot because usually if you make a good horror film, it will be pretty thrilling. Right. Um, but um, Prisoners is a big one mm. for me with Denise Villeneuve, with um, Hugh Jackman and Jake Gyllenhaal and Paul Dano, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That one was oh, and there's a very famous woman I think in there too, but I forget her name. <laughs> um, but that one was just one because I had never seen a Denise Villeneuve film before. It just the trailers looked pretty good, so I was like, I think I'll give this one a yeah. chance. And then that one really it puts you on the edge of your seat. And yeah. it, it's like it's really intense at some points. I and haven't seen it, but I've read the plot description. And my dad watched yeah. it, so I kind of was walking past. I'm like, what is happening? It's like the, yeah, some of those because Hugh Jackman gets like so because he plays the dad of uh, this girl that's been taken. Or, yeah, uh-huh. and and like he just. Like gets so into this character, and then Jake Gyllenhaal becomes a is this cop who's trying to investigate it, and there's like them like at each other's throat because they're both they're fighting for the same thing, but they're having like different ways to do it. And then yeah, when Paul Dano comes in, and it like that final scene where it's like the confrontation between like Uh you know the people is like so intense. Oh my god! It's like (laughs) edge of your seat. It's it's kind of scary to a point. So yeah, and I think the kind of cool thing about thrillers is that it is a little bit more broad than horror like yeah. it is a hard distinction but i feel like you know the difference like for me like hitchcock's those are all thrillers yeah. they're not horror movies except for maybe psycho because it's about murder but mm-hmm. like yeah it's like twisty thrillers as opposed to like 
gore or like monsters and ghosts yeah. and stuff. Um, um, another really good one colors. was was also starring Jake Gyllenhaal was Nightcrawler. Um, oh yeah. Just uh, mm-hmm. just a, such a good performance from Jake Gyllenhaal. Like that's to me so the biggest of all time um, yeah. snubs because that was oh. one where I thought he was yeah that's win, crazy and he didn't even get nominated. Um, another thriller I'll say is Zodiac. I always consider that yeah. less of a biopic, but definitely more of like a horror thriller, journalism drama. Yeah, I, I, yeah, that was kind of. I, I wouldn't consider that one too much horror. I think it's more of just a investigational thriller. Yeah. Except my thing with that movie is that like that movie is kind of like three movies in one. It's like a Robert Downey Jr. movie stuffed, and yeah. then like a Mark Ruffalo, a Mark Ruffalo movie, then a Jake Gyllenhaal movie. Yeah. But I didn't really like the Robert Downey Jr. part of it. So, because it's like three hours, and for the first hour, I was not very into yeah. it because I didn't like. Well, he's like kind of like a yeah. washed-up journalist. I just wasn't really. And it was. It was kind of just like, he. It's not like he was playing like the same Iron Man type character, but, but it's like kinda he was kind of similar. Which he kind of does a lot of times. Like Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. is not my favorite actor, but yeah. like that part Terms was. But range, then yeah, yeah. once uh, Mark Ruffalo comes in, then it's like okay, this is getting pretty interesting. And then, and then Jake Gyllenhaal beca- getting like weirdly obsessed with this case oh, yeah. and starts ruining his life that's so oh and then uh, you see like the zodiac killer killing people which is genuinely horrifying oh yeah that's when it tr- verges into horror like shooting oh, yeah, those yeah, people definitely. in the car when like as donovan plays that's scary um, so i two-thirds of zodiac is a very good thriller movie yeah uh get out is to me oh more, yeah. I, I know people don't like the case when you say that you know these horror movies are more thriller than they are horror when just because they're like pretty good because i know the directors really don't like that because they're like, stop calling my horror film a thriller just because it's like not bad. But <laughs> yeah, um, thriller is like the classier yeah. horror. Yeah. But Get Out is definitely one that because it's a horror film, it, it yeah. gets pretty scary at some of the times. But it, it definitely it um it toes the line. Well, and I feel um, like again, it, I don't really, I can't like verbalize the distinction, but I do know that there's a distinction. I feel like with thriller, it's like tension, mm-hmm. like what's gonna happen, what is happening. How's he gonna get out of it? Um, and then horror maybe is more of like the kind of visceral elements of like replacing people's brains and stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean that's definitely a horror thriller. I think that's yeah. That's such a great one. And then uh, one I saw recently, um, which I just took me by surprise, was The Gift with um, oh, Jason Bateman. I heard that movie's weirdly very good. It's like so good. With, like, um, yeah, I forget. Um, what's Joel Edgerton. Yeah, Joel Edgerton. Directed? Yeah, directed and starred in this. With um, he's kind of underrated. I like Joel Edgerton. Yes, he's, he agree. always pops up in cool um, movies. And he's a good. I know he did um, First Reformed, which I hear is pretty good too. Yeah, and he directed that. And then yeah, it starred Jason Bateman and Rebecca Hall with. Um, I don't think Joel Edgerton did First Reformed. That was um, Paul Schrader. Was it? Yeah. What was the one that Joel Edgerton did? Boy Erased. That's there. The one. Okay. <laughs> similar um, vibe. Yeah. Similar year. <laughs> um, but. Oh, yeah, the yeah. gift is the gift is another one that's really intense, and that one's one that's like, I really did not know where that one was going, and then, mm-hmm. and the best thing about these thrillers is when the ending pays off because a lot of these thrillers, it's like it can start out really good, but then the ending is so like dumb or the resolution yeah, it's hard. like it doesn't yeah. really matter anymore. But the gift has one of the best endings I think Ooh. to a thriller I've ever seen, just mm-hmm. in terms of like. Oh, like I can't believe that happened, but it was like it was making me think about different things that happened in the movie. I think I saw it like the next day again, just so I was like, oh, to like rewatch yeah. everything. Yeah. So the gift is another underrated one. Mm-hmm. Do you have any? Um, I mean, I think um, most Hitchcock movies. Yeah. I think two of my favorites are Rope and Shadow of a Doubt. They're like more maybe 
deeper cuts, quote unquote, mm-hmm. for Hitchcock. But Rope is about these two guys who um, strangle a classmate. They're in college, or they were, they graduated. They strangled one of their friends just to see if they could do it. It's based on a true story. Mm-hmm. And then they hide the body in like a trunk and then have a party. And one of them starts to kind of crack and like freak out. And the whole time you're wondering, oh my God, are they going to find the body? People are like setting their drinks on this trunk where there is a literal body in this closet. Um, so that's very intense. And then Shadow of a Doubt, it's very weird. It's some weird kind of undertones that yeah. movie. But um, it's a girl who, she's growing up in the late 40s in California. And she has like a very normal life, very normal like white picket fence house. And her mom's brother comes to visit. And they're she's named after him. They're both named Charlie. And she start, starts suspecting that he's a serial killer. And he kills old women. And she kind of has to investigate. And then when she figures out and he knows that she knows, there's like a weird tension of like, are you going to tell anyone? No one's going to believe you. And it's very weird and intense because it's this like uncle and this like younger niece and there's like weird vibes. That's a great one. Mm -hmm. There's like so many thrillers. Le Samurai. Yeah, Um, I'm looking at my list too and it's like um, Shutter Island, um, Argo, Mm -hmm. uh, Zodiac, No Country for Old Men, um, The Prestige, um, Memento. Um, So there's quite a lot. So, The Usual Suspects is another pretty good one. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there, there'd be way too many to actually go into all of our favorites. But, oh yeah, uh, that's a really good one. This is another one where I haven't watched too many but war films. Um, um, we talked about Hacksaw <coughs> Ridge. That was one that I really liked. Um, Dunkirk is one that I really I think liked. Dunkirk might be one of my favorites just because it was such an interesting take on a war film. It was obviously very fragmented and the different perspectives of war yeah. I think was really fascinating. That's a great one. Yeah, I think those are my only two. Maybe the only two. Well, I saw that Mark Wahlberg one, but I didn't like it too much. Um, he was in a lot. Which one? I thought he was only in one. Let me see. I mean, he's in a lot of those like dumb he was true in, story movies. Uh, let me see. Was it the Hordes movie, Lone Survivor? Yeah. Lone oh wait, Survivor. no, that's what I'm thinking. That, of. I don't think it was called Lone Survivor, but it was something like that. Um, yeah. But yeah, I saw that one, but I didn't really like it, and I don't really remember it. Well, I can't even remember the yeah. name of it. Um, <laughs> But Ooh, okay. Yeah, I, it is Lone Survivor. That was what it was called. Um, okay, I have a few. Um, but they're kind of weird takes on war films. Um, so this is an old, old movie from 1927 called Wings. And it was the one of the first... In the first couple years of the Oscars, it was like one of the very first Best Picture winners. So it's very old, and it's a silent film. But it's set in World War One, And there's a lot of insane aerial footage of... Um, biplanes essentially dogfighting and it's very intense and it's like the story of these two guys and their girlfriend they're kind of it's kind of love triangle from home and they both went through the war and then there's this like crazy twist at the end with like mistaken identity and it's like horrifically sad like i was not expecting to be so moved by a 1927 silent war film but it's really good like um the performances are amazing and it's you don't see a lot of world war one movies and it's interesting from 1927 it being so recent. Like, the war had just ended 10 years before. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's really good. Wings is amazing. Yeah. Um, and obviously, a lot of people haven't seen it, but I would definitely recommend that one. Um, and then The Great Escape from the 60s. It's yeah. a bunch of prisoner of wars trying to break out of a Nazi prisoner of war camp. And that's more of maybe like a... You don't see the war, but obviously they're prisoners of war. But that's kind of more of like, that's maybe a thriller? Because the whole time you don't know if they're going to escape, they have to plan this whole... It's kind yeah. of like a like a heist movie, but in the heist of they are trying to break themselves out of a camp. Yeah. Um, that's a great one. It's really 
amazing cast too. I feel like a good war movie should kind of play like a thriller sometimes. You go, yeah. You're kind of wondering like, yeah, are they going to get out of this situation? Or like, are they going to get out of this situation? Yeah. So. And obviously, I haven't seen a lot of war movies. I know the big ones would be like Platoon, Full Metal Jacket, Same um, Private Ryan. Same Private Ryan, which I haven't seen. Um, my mom loves that movie, but. So that's that and westerns are they're kind of dude movie yeah. genres that I don't have tons of familiarity with, but um, I, you know there's gems in every genre like uh, Lawrence of Arabia. I don't again that's kind of a war movie because it's sort of set in the Arab Wars post World War One, mm-hmm. um, but that's a really interesting one too. I love Lawrence of Arabia, but yeah, yeah that's kind of a hard one. Gone with the Wind, Civil War. I don't know. Yeah, Pushing it. That's kind of a lot of these are kind of like pushing, but I guess maybe yeah. Dunkirk and Wings are my most straightforward like war favorite war movies. Yeah, mine's probably Dunkirk and Hacksaw. Mm-hmm. Um, what about uh, like psychological like mind bending films? These are like Ooh, some, these okay. are the films that I like to seek out yeah. like if I can find a good one because that's the reason I found Inception because well mm-hmm. I mean I'd heard about Inception but like people have always talked about that one and the what, one of my favorite things is mo- in movies is when I see the movie and I can't stop thinking about it for like a yeah. really long time. Ooh, okay, I have like, one for that. Because like I wish yeah. Ad Astra was like that, but then I saw Ad Astra and then about 30 minutes after I was like, yeah, that was, I feel like in five years that I'm going to forget that I even saw Ad Astra, even though I, I liked it. Mm-hmm. But Inception is one that I yeah. really think. Um, Arrival is definitely Arrival one. Is Arrival great. is one. It's one of the only films where I genuinely say I didn't really get it till the second time. <laughs> yeah. Like, I kind of understood what happened the first time, but then the second time I was like, like oh, oh my god, this is yeah. really smart. Um, so <laughs> those are those are my number one and two for psychological yeah. mind-bending movies. What about you? Um, my uh, sort of some I think Annihilation. No, yeah. I could not stop thinking about that movie because I watched it at night, which was a mistake. <laughs> but like I turned, I think I tweeted this for, or it was in my Letterbox review of it, where it's like, am I real? Where am I? Am I human? <laughs> like it fully made me like lose my mind for a while. Yeah. That was insane. That was so great. And then um, I think Chosen One of Space Odyssey. That whole final sequence is very mind bendy and weird, and surreal. And you don't really know what's happening, but it's more of an experience. And there's he's in, he's like aging, weirdly. That's a great one. I think that's like one of the OG like trippy psychological kind of movies oh, yeah. it's so good and then um and then there's some ones that we've already kind of talked about for thrillers but like memento yeah. um mm-hmm. um shutter island and even um eternal sunshine could probably be put in that oh in that that's a really too. good one yeah it's um, like less scary and more sad but yeah, yeah. kind of a non-linear story yeah sort of surreal yeah um what about this is one of my favorite maybe my favorite genre Okay. Like, if you can really find a good one, but music movies, like, not exactly musicals, but, yeah. like, movies that are based around, Oh, like that's also music. one of my favorite genres. Um, because Begin Again is my yeah. number one, it's my third favorite movie of all time, because um, that, on, honestly, John Carney is, like, so underrated, and, like, he Sing did Street. one, yeah, one Sing Street and Begin Again, which I think Those are, are all like bangers, yeah. three of the best music movies, yeah. I think, going to day. And it's usually when you can focus on a relationship, like whether it's like romantic or like a friendship or something, or familial, but and you can put that into a music type movie, I think it usually works well. Like even A Star Is Born kind of did that too. So yep. I'd say those three films, Once, Begin Again, and Sing Street, yep. as, well, as well as A Star Is Born are probably four yep. of my favorite Those are really music good. movies. Um, okay, so my number one would have to be Inside Lewin Davis. That was my favorite movie. I still haven't seen that. It's it's like not. It's very downbeat. Like it's very low key. It's sad. It's kind of a bummer of a movie. Yeah. But this, it was my favorite movie from about twenty fourteen to like, twenty sixteen. Yeah. Um, 
but that's such an amazing movie. It's just about this folk singer in the 60s in Greenwich, and he can just, he can never get a break. Like, he's kind of poor, or he's very poor. He um, He's trying to just get a record deal. It's not really working. He accidentally knocked up his friend's, or accidentally, you know, yeah. how, but he knocked up his friend's girlfriend, and, but the music is so good, and it's just, Oscar Isaac, it's what made me, like, you know, yeah. I always joke that he's my husband, that's why, because I love, I love him, his performance in Inside Llewyn Davis. It's, like, this, all of the songs are such great reflections of, you know, the world and his emotions and how he can just never quite get there. It's it's sad, but it's such an amazing movie. Um, the la- the only other two that I can think of that aren't musicals, but they are still music movies, um, Whiplash. Oh, um, yeah. And... Uh, Music and lyrics, which oh was, yeah, that, that, that movie's amazing. That, that, I like. I really, I thought that I was like, this is gonna be a cheesy movie, whatever. I'm just gonna put it on, but like the music in there is really good. It kind of Hugh they're Grant, all bangers. Yeah, Hugh Grant and Drew Barrymore have like great chemistry. I'm surprised they never did like another movie together. Well, I feel like Hugh Grant has never had bad chemistry with any actress. So. Honestly, true. Yeah. So I feel like yeah, every yeah. actress that he's ever worked with is probably like, yeah, we should do more movies. Yeah. But I think he said he's never gonna do a rom com again. That he said I mean, yeah, he's done with that. That's fine. Which is yeah, he's done more than he was the rom com guy for a while. Um, so those are two ones for me. Did you have any more? Um, yeah, I think so. Um, okay, so one of them, this is kind of a biopic, but Coal Miner's Daughter. It's about oh, yeah. the country singer Loretta Lynn. But the way they kind of do it is, um, I was watching a video on music biopics, and she doesn't pick up a guitar until like an hour into the movie. Um, until then, it's just all built up and like explaining where she's from and her family life and her relationship with her husband, who she married when she was like 14. But um, it is, uh, Sissy Spacek did all of her own singing, and it is really a great music biopic, and the music's all great, so that's a really good one. Um, Oh God. Okay, wait. Let me let me filter on Letterboxd because it is hard between um, musical and like a music movie. Because for yeah. me, I kind of lump the two together usually. Yeah. Um, okay. Twenty Three Jump Street. I already mentioned that. Um, so, yeah, I'm, that's not really about music, I guess. Well, I just think of like if music is prominently like featured in the film, but it's yeah. like not as a plot device like it is when. Or not like a plot device, but it's not... Well, I don't know. Musical, I could think, is when it turns into, like, yeah, you're advancing the story using music. Through the but songs. then it's like, if music is just prominent, then I consider it a musical. Okay, that's fine. So. Um, okay, in that case, I might do... Uh, Love and Mercy was really good. Mm. The um, Brian Wilson movie. Uh, oh, School of Rock. How could I forget School, oh, yeah, of, School Rock? of Rock? God, that movie is literally so mm. good. I was listening to a podcast the other day about um, Oscars, and they were talking about how the difference between Golden Globes and Oscars, and they're talking about how, like, the Golden Globes are usually more willing to appreciate kind of more interesting performances the Oscars wouldn't recognize. Like, I think Jack Black got nominated for a Golden Globe for that performance, because he's so good. And they were saying, like, on the flip side, the Oscars probably wouldn't give him that nomination, because it's not the type of Oscar movie you expect, Mm -hmm. but that movie is literally so good. I I love that movie. And then also Spinal Tap. Um, This is Spinal Tap from 1984 about the fake metal band who's like on the rocks and they're kind of all losers. That's yeah. a really good one because the songs are also kind of bangers. Oh yeah, I did see this as Final Cut. The documentary? Yeah. yeah. The, 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 yeah, the, yeah. The, the fake documentary? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, and then lastly, musicals. Okay, see, yeah. this is this is my jam. Okay, All That Jazz, Cabaret, Singing in the Rain, American in Paris, Rocket Man. Um, you really did like Rocket Man? I really did. Oh, okay. I really did. I know that it's very... 
It can be very by the books. Mm-hmm. But for me, it was just way more fun than Bohemian Rhapsody. The costumes were great. I liked the musical sequences. I thought they were very inventive. Yeah. It was a different take on it. Um, when some parts I kind of rolled my eyes at, but then yeah. <laughs> but then they did like a tap dance to Honky Cat. I'm like, just kidding, I'm back in. I loved this. <laughs> Um, okay, Hard Day's Night, Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Um, I guess not La La Land, because those are all perform. Well, I would, no, that's La La Land. Okay. Yeah. La La Land. Uh, okay, there's like Rocket Man, Sin in the Rain, um, Spice World, Tommy, Velvet Goldmine, Yentl. Literally, I could go on. Okay, just, musicals are fully my favorite genre, so I will stop. Um, yeah, I think you got all mine. Yeah, because mine. I think mine was all the ones in my letterbox. Yeah, <laughs> I um, just love musicals so much. There, yeah, there hasn't been too many modern musicals, I guess, outside of La La Land. Oh, uh, Chicago. I think yeah. lately they've there've been more musicals. Like, um, there was one that came out recently. It was pretty tiny, but it's called Anna and the Apocalypse. Yeah. It was um, <clears throat> a Scottish movie. I watched a screening of it at Cinemark when I worked there. Yeah. But it was like a Christmas zombie musical. And it was like these like high schoolers in Scotland or England in the um, around Christmas, and there's like a zombie outbreak, but it's also a musical, so yeah. they're like singing about stuff. It was really fun. It was like a fun, scrappy little musical that I really liked. I will say I did like the uh, the scene in Five Hundred Days of Summer where it just turned into a musical uh, for five yeah. minutes uh-huh. because there are some things I very much don't like about Five Hundred Days of Summer, yeah. but then the way it was like made was like really. Mm-hmm. I think it was really good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, would you say your favorite genre is musical? <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I, I'm just a, such a sucker for it. Like, I think for like the, for me, the reason that I think film works so great is that it's a combo of like audio and visuals, yeah. and you can kind of break the limitations of what's reality, right? And musicals do exactly that. They use music to break the reality. They can use dancing and choreography and music to enhance emotions, and it's just like I think the perfect type of genre for the film format because you can like yeah. get really nuts you can you can be a very downbeat intense kind of raw musical um but i think music just works so well to express emotions yeah. and when it's done right it's just so good because it's like everything that's great about film like the medium of film and like one movie there's definitely um i kind of fight between two genres which my favorite these are both genres it's like if this is done well then i'm probably gonna love it for me music movies is just mm-hmm. like if if you have good music, I am willing to excuse a lot. Like so, I like the greatest <laughs> yeah. showman because yeah. I like the music in there. Yeah. And anytime someone tells so me, it's so powerful. Music, yeah. it's it's you know, you connect so quickly to music, and if it's good, you're just like, oh, it's great. I love exactly. this. <laughs> like people have told me all the stuff that's wrong with the greatest showman. I'm like, you're not <laughs> you're, wrong. You're right. But like <laughs> I've watched can't. it twice, and I liked it both times. <laughs> yeah, um, absolutely. Because. Yeah, um, and then teen movies. Like, yeah. if you can do the high school or like college, like um, age people in a good way, or even middle school with like eighth grade or something yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. I think that really that's one of the reasons I really like the way way back. Yeah, I like Edge of Seventeen. I like eighth grade. Yeah, and I liked um, I like Perks, but I didn't love Perks. Um, Perks of being a wallflower, and then um, oh, the Olivia took one. Me and Earl and the Dying Girls, another yeah. one that I really liked. So those are probably my two favorite genres. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Before we get out of here. Movie spotlight. Have you seen anything recently? That um, you not about? movies, but I can do TV. Or I'll, I, do, I'll do two tiny ones. How about that? So I did actually watch a movie recently. It's a movie called Marty from the fifties. It's like a. It was a really cute kind of little rom com with starring Ernest Borgnine. Most of you probably know him as the voice of Mermaid Man, but he was like a great um, character actor all like from the fifties until like the day he died in the twenty tens. Mm-hmm. Um, and he plays like this like kind of thirty. I think he said he's thirty four. 
like like Italian guy in New York who works as a butcher and he's you know he has a very distinctive look if you've ever seen Ernest Borgnine um and he's like he's never gotten married and it's just sort of him trying to figure out like he's living with his mom and he's trying to get navigate sort of what he wants out of life and then he meets this kind of shy teacher and they're both sort of like outcasts and they connect and it's so sweet and there's a lot of really interesting things they touch on with like immigrant life and kind of masculinity there's like a lot of things they touch on that I think enriched the movie a lot it's only an hour and a half it's so cute would recommend and then my brother and I are also also doing a rewatch of Twin Peaks or a watch through of Twin Peaks Um, and we're at the part in season two where it's starting to go off the rails and kind of get bad but it's still really fun it's a great like Halloween show yeah it's really fun I like Twin Peaks um yeah I see you tweeting (laughs) I was like I was actively messaging Adam being like Adam what's happening in this season because he's our go-to Twin Peaks guy I was like, Adam, what is what is happening with the subplot? And he's like, Yeah, I know, it's it's getting rough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, for me, it's the way way back, which I finally got to see again. I remember on a previous episode, I had said like the way way back might be one of my favorite movies of all time. I just can't remember because it was too far away. But mm-hmm. now I've seen it again. It does hold up. It's probably not one of my favorites of all time, but it stars Liam James, um, I think, and then and then a, a really good cast actually: it was Steve mm-hmm. Carell, Allison Janney. Oh wow. Um, Torum, oh, no, hereditary person. Oh my gosh. Tom, it starts with a T. Tony Collette? Tony Collette, oh, thank you. Not, um, I love Tony Collette, yeah. Um, and then Sam Rockwell. And oh, then wow. it's, written, really it's written and directed by um, Nat Faxon and Jim Rash, which I don't know how to explain them, so you probably just need to look them up. Okay. Jim Rash is <laughs> one of the guys from Community. I think he's the principal in Community. Oh, and then, yeah, the um, one who goes, it's better not awaken anything in me. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And then Nat Faxon is also really good. Um, mm-hmm. He produced Thoroughbreds. But, oh, cool. Um, is that an A24 movie? Yeah, no, 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 uh, way or, back. Yes, no, actually, yeah. Is it, okay, I, I think I'm also thinking of The Spectacular now, because they have similar... Yeah. Anyway. Um, Spectacular now is another good um, teen movie. Um, mm-hmm. But it's like... Um, let's see, Liam James is this character who has to... He, his mom is dating Steve Carell, who mm-hmm. Steve Carell is not a good guy in this Oh, movie, no. <laughs> which is it's actually really refreshing, because it's like... You, yeah. You, I mean... You could think, it's like, Steve Carell is so lovable, there's no way I'm ever going to see him in a film and not like him, but you can, I genuinely did not like his character in this film, because he played it so well. Steve yeah. Carell is a very underrated actor. Did you ever see Foxcatcher? Yeah, I did see Foxcatcher. Okay. He, he also kind of was a Yeah, I, know, I didn't see it, but he also plays like a weird heel in that, too. Yeah, the, uh, Foxcatcher was kind of boring, but, um, yeah, I heard he, uh, yeah, he was really good in that, too, mm-hmm. but in this one, he, it's like the first line of this film is like, what what number would you rate yourself from, like, one to ten? Steve Carell asks. Uh, Liam James is. and then he's like uh, I don't know like a six and Steve Carell's like no you're a three uh-huh. um, yikes and, but I mean through this summer we're gonna get that up to a, like <laughs> to a ten or something like and, it, and it's like he is that bad the whole time and then it's just a really good story of like mm-hmm. Liam James like kind of growing up in this part because he hates this he hates Steve Carell's character and so he kind of has yeah he has problems with him and then he has like kind of problems with his mom for being with him and not leaving Steve Carell Mm -hmm. but then he goes to this water park and where he meets Sam Rockwell and Nat Faxon and Jim Rash and then he kind of grows a bond with them and they have a really good story together so it's kind of like him becoming you know adjusting to like this is the situation and I'm just gonna have to deal with it so Mm -hmm. it's a really good story um I'm sad Liam James hasn't really done anything yeah, since I don't think that. I've ever heard of I him. don't even know if I'm saying the right name. I think uh, you are. But, because uh, but, I always thought it was Logan Lerman. I don't know. I thought Logan Lerman starred in this movie, but he didn't. It's Liam James. Which Where did Logan uh, Lerman go? 
Um, I like him. Yeah, he was, he, great. he was good in Percy Jackson as well. Yeah. He was, and um, Percy being a wallflower, yeah. too, he's good in that, but he just kind of went away. Yeah. But Come back to him. I mean, I mean, I guess it's because Percy Jackson wasn't that good. It didn't launch his career like it would for other people. Yeah. But, it's yeah, true. The Way Way Back is a very, very good film. Really well acted from mm -hmm. everyone. Um, really well written, yeah. um, which I wouldn't expect. Like, I w when I saw the two people who wrote it and directed were Jim Rash and Nat Baxman, I was like, like they what? wrote that? Because <laughs> there was some really good emotional stuff. And then Sam Rockwell was someone who also, uh, he's starting to, whenever he appears in a film, I get a little bit more excited to watch yeah. it because mm -hmm. he's really, really talented. Yeah. Um, so that's my movie spotlight. Did you ever see 20th Century Women? No, I didn't. Uh, <laughs> I, I feel like you might like that too because it's another coming yeah. of age story, but that's a really great one too. Yeah, I keep seeing it and I keep, um, being like, okay, maybe I'll watch that a little yeah. bit later, but I think I will finally sit down and watch it because yeah. I don't feel like doing my homework today, so I don't think I'm Honestly, going to. Honestly, mood. <laughs> um, but that's a really another, that's another really good coming of age movie. Yeah. Um, coming of age could have been that one. Yeah. Talking about too, because there's a, there's a lot yeah. in there, which I guess coming of age and teen movie are the same thing. Yeah. Because if you have a teen movie where he doesn't come of age, then it's probably not very it's good. It's more like a teen yeah. comedy where it's like... Yeah. Because even Booksmart isn't technically like it doesn't feel coming of age, but it's it's kind of. I well, guess, it's like going off to college, you know. Yeah. So I think that's kind of coming of yeah. age. Yeah. Um. What about Love Simon? Maybe that would be. Maybe Simon's in it. Um. Yeah, Love Simon kind of. You know, it's coming of age. Yeah, no, that's yeah, he's kind of coming into. Coming into himself, idea. I yeah, guess yeah. you know, coming out. Yeah. So. Is it senior year? Do they go off to college at the end? I don't remember. No. Okay. No, they don't. Okay. I feel like every every high school movie has to end with a graduation scene. Yeah. So <laughs> it might have ended that <laughs> like yeah. that way. Either a graduation scene or a prom scene or something like that. Um, like Blockers. Blockers ended with a prom scene, which I can't. No, I didn't like Blockers too. No, I didn't. The, <laughs> trying to there's, remember. Some, there's sometimes where I don't even like if I felt nothing about it. Sometimes I was just like not yeah, even same. remember if I really liked it or not. Yeah. But I did like some of the parts of Blockers. Like I liked their relationship, but then the movie just wasn't very funny. Yeah. But, yeah, that's the end <laughs> of this episode. We'll be back next week. I don't know what comes out next week. Um, so, I don't know. I don't know what we're going to be talking about. We'll see. Because uh, I remember me and Chase did, like, a rundown of all of it, and there's still really, there's really nothing. And <laughs> not until probably October, November, it's going to kick into high gear. Yeah. Yeah. Which, I feel sorry for Ad Astra, because if you, if you had pitched to me a movie, a space movie starring Brad Pitt, who was going to be fresh off of doing Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where yep. he got kind of, like, into the public scheme again, and then, um, and I forget who directed this one, but either way, James Gray. Yeah, but then you put it in August, which is like outside. You don't have to worry about Avengers or any of these superhero films stealing all of this money. I really, if I was a studio producer, I would have thought this was gonna make me a few hundred million dollars, but it, it doesn't got, look like. Um, it got pushed back like multiple times. Oh, really? I remember vividly, because when I was working at Cinemark, we had like a Excel sheet of all the movies coming out. Yeah. And I remember whenever we would get kind of periodic updates from studios on like dates and stuff, and mm -hmm. I remember always, last summer, I remember looking at this ad Astra, I was like, I don't know what this is, and kept having to like move it down, because it kept getting, kept getting like pushed back and um, stuff. Because I think it was, I think it's maybe Fox, so there was like a whole lot yeah, of stuff with Fox. the Fox. <laughs> so, yeah, so I think there was like a bunch of production delays, so... Mm -hmm or released delays, so. Also, it's a good thing Fox sold to Disney because they have genuinely not had a hit, had had a hit, like, this entire year. Poor Fox. Um, yeah, they'll, they'll be fine. Or, I mean, I have poor, poor, poor Fox employees, I guess. <laughs> yes, but, that's, um, that's what I mean, yeah. Um, yeah, but, yeah. I mean, Murdoch or whatever, it's gonna be fine. 
Oh, um, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, not poor Fox News. <laughs> I mean, like, Fox Studio employees. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Right. That's it. We'll be yep. back next week talking about movies, and goodbye. Bye.